Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to wrap up our study of 1 Peter this morning. Before we get into that study, I wanted to give you a brief update of what uh, is going on in the Mandarin ministry. Uh, We actually have several ministries that reach out to international students. This particular Mandarin ministry began about 10 years ago through Andy and Sophia Chan. Uh, They currently have a Sunday morning worship service that meets uh, right across the street. And 11 o'clock right now, they're meeting. They usually have about 100 and 115 folks that come for that worship service. They also have a Friday student fellowship, reaches out to grad students, uh, undergrads as well on campus who are from mainland China. It's also a family fellowship that meets weekly. And probably one of the most exciting things is uh, each year they have a student welcome party. They get over 100 students coming from, again, from mainland China. They get introduced to Grace Bible Church, College Station, Texas, uh, and hopefully eventually Jesus Christ. Each year they see about 20 to 30 folks uh, believe in Jesus Christ. If uh, you've ever stayed around after a service, they will do, uh, they do their baptisms right here. And uh, the testimonies, when they're translated, are amazing. Uh, they're actually amazing if they're not translated, but you can't get it if they're not. Uh, I've, I've sat in here and listened to them. They're just, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, last week, I think if you were here at the 11 o'clock service, you got to hear uh, Cherry give her testimony. And, you know, I was sitting there in front row and I thought, wow, God is real. I mean, that's just uh, transforming lives. It's, it's really exciting. Anyway, uh, this ministry has, has grown through the years. And as it has grown, uh, it is moving toward becoming a, a church plant. And so we've searched for about the last three years for someone uh, who could pastor this uh, I think that we have found a couple. We've gone through a lot of resumes and done a lot of interviews, but recently we interviewed Samuel Fu and his wife, Peng. Uh, he is currently a PhD student at Dallas Seminary, uh, about to get into the stage of writing his dissertation. But he has been approved by the Mandarin executive team and by our elders uh, to become a pastor of the Mandarin Fellowship. Uh, since that will be a, a pastoral position at Grace Bible Church, we need to vote on that. So I just wanted to uh, let you know that we're going to be having a business meeting January 9th, one of the major items of business at that point will be voting for uh, Samuel to come as a pastor. So if you would, please pray for that time. If you'd like to get to know him a little better, his resume is online, his testimony is on video, and you can get to know that family. But this is a really significant development in the life of our church as we seek to plant churches and to extend the reach of the gospel throughout the world. This is a really exciting moment. So I just wanted to let you know what is going on with that ministry. Now, let's get back to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to read with me beginning in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. On Friday, we took our kids to Houston to... uh, wanted to take them to the Christmas pageant at First Baptist Church down there. And we thought we'd go a little bit early and uh, go to the Galleria when, uh, you know, kids are not in school. We go to the Galleria when it'd be real calm and we could get our Christmas shopping done. And um, we were wrong. It was, it was uh, crazy 
It was, you know, it was just lights and sounds and decorations and stuff and music and just cra- totally crowded and packed. And, you know, I, I reminded me, gosh, I'm so glad I live in, uh, in, here in College Station in Pleasantville. You know, it was just like, wow, man, this is just nuts. At one point, my son, he just, he just like laid on me and he goes, daddy, I'm so tired. Can we leave now? You know, we hadn't, we hadn't even gotten to the, to the Christmas pageant deal yet. It was exhausting. And as we're walking through, I was reminded again, as I feel every Christmas, the, the tension of staying focused on the real significance of Christmas during this time. The cultural approach to Christmas, is, it's assaulting. It's really difficult to stay focused. And so this week, as I was reading through 1 Peter chapter 5, and I was talking to Blake about the passage, it struck me for the very first time, a, a new perspective, at least for me, on Christmas. Christmas Day uh, is not simply about a, a baby laying in a manger, innocent, lowly, meek, and mild Jesus, but really Christmas is an act of war. I don't know if you'd ever thought of it that way. I'd never thought of it that way, but reading First Peter, I thought, you know, Christmas is an act of war. If you look at the broad sweep of scripture, what it is about is two kingdoms in conflict. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. When Satan fell and he introduced sin into God's creation and he introduced sin into humankind, all of God's creation, which he had made for himself and and for his own glory, became occupied by Satan. And God has allowed it to continue as such, although he has begun to lay the foundation for taking over his creation once again for his honor and glory. He's been creating the structure for that through raising up the nation of Israel and giving them covenants and through those covenants ultimately invading the earth in his son Jesus Christ. Christmas Day is an act of war. God has invaded. God the Son took on human flesh in order to take back all of creation for the Heavenly Father. That put a new spin on Christmas for me. It caused me to think about it a little differently. Christmas is spiritual warfare. And God has called us, as believers in Jesus Christ, to engage in that battle. Peter ends his book by reminding these believers who are they're living in a, in a fallen, broken world, a hostile world that doesn't love God. And they're suffering for it. And Peter is reminding them here at the end of the book, remember, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. And he's going to issue them two directives. Two directives. I want you to read with me again. Chapter 5. Let's start in verse 5. He says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter's first exhortation is this, humble yourself before God. In order to engage in this spiritual battle, you must be properly related to God. John Calvin once wrote, If you ask me concerning the precepts of the Christian religion, first, second, and third, and always, I would answer humility. Humility. Humility is not a popular subject in our culture today. You know, years ago, uh, a guy named Andrew Murray wrote a book entitled Humility 
which I, I don't think would be reprinted today. Okay? That's not what we're into. Our culture is into self-promotion, right? Self-indulgence and self-promotion. This morning, I got on one of my social media just to kind of, you know, connect. What's going on? And I have a friend who loves to tweet. I mean, loves it. I, I looked in yesterday afternoon, he had about 10 tweets just in the afternoon. It's, you know, it's stuff like shopping for a Christmas gift for Sally. We're at our third Christmas party today. Eating chicken enchiladas and on the border. Yum. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Does the world need to know that? Why are you interrupting my life for this? Ah, you know, maybe you, that doesn't drive you crazy. It makes me crazy. It's just me, me, me. Ah, it makes me crazy. Humility. Oh, that's not, that's, not the, that's not the word of the day. You know why Satan fell? Because he was into himself. The most beautiful angel, most powerful angel God had ever created, maybe the most beautiful creature that God had ever made, became self-absorbed and exalted himself and said, I must be like God. And so he fell. And ever since that point in time, he has been enticing men and women, align yourselves with my kingdom. It's the kingdom of pride. It's the kingdom of self. Align yourself with me. Humility is first and foremost aligning ourselves with God. It is not lowering ourselves or putting ourselves. It is lifting God up. Humble yourselves under, he says, the mighty hand of God, the powerful hand of God. Only God is great. Tweet about God, okay? (laughs) Only God is great. Notice what he says here in verse 11. To him be dominion, literally to him be strength forever and ever. Amen. Peter says, if you want to enter into this battle, align yourself with the kingdom of God. And the way that you do that is through humility. The angels that chose to remain in the presence of God cover their face and they cover their feet. It's an act of humility. The shepherds who walked into the presence of the son of God fell on their faces and worshiped. The magi, wise men from the east, came into the presence of God and they fell on their face, and they worshipped. They humbled themselves before the mighty king of kings. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Second, Peter says, resist your adversary. Verse 8, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Uh, in our culture today, Satan has been domesticated. Okay? This is Satan. This is our image of Satan. He's a cartoon. He's funny. He's sweating. Boy, it's hot down here. He's so cute and cuddly, in fact, that on Halloween, why don't you dress up your kid? He'd say, what a cute little devil. Really? Wow. Is that our concept of the adversary? I'm going to recommend another book to you uh, this morning, again, by C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. He wrote a short book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a book 
about a, a senior demon named Screwtape. And he is teaching his nephew, a younger demon, Wormwood, how to tempt us, how to destroy our lives. And at one point in the book, Screwtape writes to Wormwood and he says this, I do not think you will have much difficulty keeping the patient, that's us, in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. 2009, George Barna updated his statistics and he discovered that among people who call themselves Christian, 65% deny the reality of Satan. Among Christians, 65% say, no, Satan is not a real person. He doesn't really exist. He's just a, a, a myth, an idea that represents things that are bad. If we don't even believe he exists, we've already lost. So in order to wage war against our adversary, first we have to acknowledge his existence. He is, in fact, real. Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 wrote this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It is a real battle. Just because you cannot see the adversary does not mean he is unreal. The greatest and deepest struggles that we have in our lives are spiritual by nature. If you survey the Gospels, you'll find there are over 110 references to Jesus either teaching about demons or confronting demons and exercising victory over demons. Men and women, believers in Jesus Christ, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. We must acknowledge that fact. Second, understand his intentions. Verse 8 Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be of sober spirit. Don't let your senses be dulled. Peter has mentioned this three times. Pay attention. Be on the alert. That is literally wake up. It's what Jesus, remember, told to the disciples in the garden. You three come with me. And if you do anything, stay awake. Because the adversary is about to come and attack. You must pay attention. What are his intentions? Well, he's prowling about like a roaring lion. And in the culture of this day, that was an incredibly frightening image. Maybe not so much for us in our day. I've seen lions before, but they're always behind a cage. I wasn't, I wasn't scared when I went to the zoo. I don't know about you. I, that doesn't scare me. But for these folks, remember, if they're going from city to city... They're probably walking. They're not driving in a metal box. They're walking. And as they walk, there are robbers and bandits. They're also wild beasts. And they don't have guns. Maybe they have a knife. And so as they leave and they're walking from Athens to Corinth, they pray, God, protect us. Protect us from robbers. Protect us from beasts. Lord, I pray there will be no wolves. I pray there will be no lions that could attack us and kill us. Peter says, be on the alert. Your adversary is a lion. A few years ago, I, I saw a short video clip. It was a lady, she was at the zoo 
and she was looking at the polar bear habitat. And as she looked over, she got a little too close and she fell in to the uh, icy moat. You know what the polar bears did? They didn't cuddle up and let her pet them and then <laughs> tried to eat her. Okay, good news. She did not get eaten. She got rescued. Okay, you relax. She didn't get eaten, but they wanted to eat her. Polar bears don't like people. They eat people, right? Satan is a lion trying to destroy you. Peter says he wants to devour you, which is not, I don't think, a reference to your physical death. It is a reference to just destroying your life. Satan wants to destroy your life. He is a thief who has come to kill, steal, destroy. Remember when Peter was sifted like wheat, he didn't die physically, but what happened to him? He denied Jesus Christ. He was taken out of the spiritual battle. He didn't stand with Jesus and for Jesus. And Satan wants to do exactly the same thing in our lives. He wants to destroy us. Men and women, believers in Jesus Christ, recognize that you are in a spiritual battle and Satan wants to destroy your life. Third, recognize his schemes or his methods. How does he go about this destructive process? Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Paul in 2 Corinthians reminded the Corinthians to don't be unaware of his schemes, literally his methods. How does he work? His fundamental method is to deceive. He lies. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. Whenever he speaks, he's speaking a lie. He's speaking from his nature. All that he can do is lie. And so all of Satan's methods ultimately flow from his intention to deceive to lie. He's going to lie about you. The name devil means slanderer. The name Satan means accuser. He's going to lie about you. He's going to lie to you. What are some of the common lies that Satan puts into our lives? Well, first, God is not good. God is not good. You really can't trust him. He's not going to meet your needs. God is not good. That's how he tempted Eve in the garden. See, all these things God's withholding from you. Okay? He's keeping what's really best. Let me read to you again from the Screwtape letters. Uncle Screwtape saying to Wormwood, Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure, All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one pleasure. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. God is not good. So you need to go out and grab it for yourself. God doesn't care. God isn't going to meet your needs. You know, I didn't get married until I was almost 31 years old. If you're a college student, you're saying to yourself, oh God, please, not me. Yeah, I had to wait a long time. And it was hard. There were times when I said, God, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Number one lie Satan's going to throw into your life. 
God's not good. He's withholding from you. You know, God will never withhold what is best. He just may not give it to you exactly right now or in the way that you were expecting, but you can trust him. And so Peter says, cast all, throw, throw all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Second lie, sin has no consequences. Indeed, has God said that you'll really die? Just, yeah, that's what God said. And Satan said to Eve, no, no, you will not die. In fact, not only will there be no consequences for your sin, there will be benefits for sin. You will be better off because then you'll be like God. Because God's lying to you. There are no consequences. Third lie. I'm beyond forgiveness. I'm beyond forgiveness. If people really knew, they, they would know. I'm beyond. There, there can't be forgiveness for me. I want you to keep your place here in 1 Peter and turn to the very end of the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. Malachi is the last book. Turn one book back toward Genesis. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3 is uh, it's similar to Job chapter 1, the throne room of God is opened up and we get a little glimpse into the presence of God and what's happening there. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Then he showed me, that is the angel. The angel showed me, Zechariah, he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan, that is the accuser, standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to the accuser, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. Joshua was the high priest and he had failed in his job to lead the people into holy worship. And so he's standing in the presence of God covered in filthy rags that represent his sin. And Satan is standing there as well and saying, look at his sin, look at his sin, look at his sin. He doesn't deserve to be in the presence of God. And he's pouring out guilt and shame upon Joshua. And notice what happens in verse four. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken away your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. What this vision represents is God taking the initiative in Joshua's life and removing the guilt of his sin so that he can again stand in the presence of God and he can again serve as high priest. And in your own life, Satan is going to whisper into your mind, you're beyond forgiveness. The things that you have done in your life, they're beyond forgiveness. And that is a lie from Satan. Because Jesus Christ has paid for every sin you have ever committed and every sin you will commit. And you can rush into the presence of God Because of the gift of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has opened up the way to God fully and finally and completely. You don't come because you have removed your own debt, because you've lived a good enough life to remove the consequences of your sin. You come because Jesus Christ has clothed you with clean garments through the death and resurrection 
that he accomplished on your behalf. Don't ever believe the lie that Satan says you cannot be forgiven. I would encourage you, if if you don't know Jesus Christ today, if you have never said, God, I do, I believe, in fact, that Jesus removed the debt of my sin, if you have never done that, I would encourage you, stop believing the lie of Satan that pushes you away and believe. Jesus Christ paid for you. Come into the presence of God. Or if you're a believer and you're here this morning, but boy, there's a... It's hard to feel like, oh, I'm I'm really connected with God. Because there's this shadow of guilt. I want to remind you again, that is your adversary. Okay, the one who is literally adversary is against what is right. And what is right and true is because the blood of Christ, as believers, we can come always into the presence of God. And don't believe the lie that pushes you out of fellowship. Identify the lies of Satan. He deceives. That's how he works. That's how he functions. Second, he distracts. He distracts. If he can get you to just be a nice person, that's enough. I think that's one of his primary methods in the United States of America. With so much exposure to the Bible and God and Jesus and Christmas carols and all that stuff. You know, just be nice. But don't be engaged in spiritual warfare. Don't be pushing back the dominion of darkness, sharing the gospel with people, the light of life. Praying. Demonstrating Christ through all of your actions, through your values and your priorities. Just be nice. He distracts. Man, he's almost completely taken over Christmas. He's taken over his own image. He distracts. Third, he exploits. Prowling around like a roaring lion. Who does the lion go after? He goes after the weak and the vulnerable. So predators do. They go after weakness. Satan has been studying you. He's been studying you. We need to wake up. We need to be sober. We need to pay attention. He's studying us. He's watching. And he's had centuries to study human nature in general. And you know what? None of us are really all that unique in the way that we sin. (laughs) There are certain patterns. And he sees which temptations work. And he knows what your areas of, of vulnerability are. Do you know your areas of vulnerability? Do you know the particular lies that you're tempted to believe? Is it lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes or the boastful pride of life? Where are you vulnerable? And have you built a hedge of protection in those areas? Have you made no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts? That is how we resist the devil. We understand his methods. We understand ourselves. And so we know how to battle against him. We know the lies that we tend to believe. And we know the truth that crushes it. Fourth, he divides. If he can get us to fight each other, we won't be fighting him. And so one of his primary techniques in the body of Christ is to create division. And so Christians fight about stupid stuff. Stuff that really, really doesn't matter. Stuff they shouldn't even pick up. Get them fighting against each other. And they won't be focused upon me. Notice again what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We are not in this alone. 
Now, the bad news is that Satan is an incredibly intelligent and powerful adversary. But the good news is when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and when we band together, we resist the devil and as James says, he flees from us. He flees from us because he knows he cannot defeat believers who are walking in humility together with Jesus Christ. One of uh, the most encouraging verses to me is Romans chapter 16. It goes like this. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. See the beautiful irony in that verse? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. How will he accomplish peace? By destroying the adversary. And so he says, believers in Jesus Christ filled with my spirit. Engage in this warfare. Be sober, be on the alert, wake up and recognize you are in the midst of spiritual warfare. This is God's calling in your life. As long as you remain in this world, which is under the dominion of Satan and hostile to you, don't be distracted, don't be deceived, but engage for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with one final exhortation. This is from Peter chapter 5, verse 12. He says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Christmas break can be a really challenging time to walk with the Lord. And for students, you're stepping away from your fellowship. Maybe you go home and you don't have any fellowship. Maybe you go home and it's not an encouraging, uplifting environment. Or you step back into old relationships, old friends and old habits that are destructive to your spiritual life. Maybe families, you go and you visit your family and it's, it's not positive, it's not encouraging. In fact, if you really think about it, it's spiritual warfare. You're walking into a dark place and you're called to be salt and light. Are you ready? Are you prepared? When I was doing college ministry, it used to give a handout. At the end of every semester, we'd say, Christmas break plan for spiritual growth. Do you have a plan? Are you ready to engage? This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but making us aware of these unseen realities. I pray, Father, that throughout this break, we would, in fact, be salt and light for Jesus Christ. I pray that we would align ourselves with your kingdom. We would walk in humility and we would not be distracted by the misinterpretation of of Christmas that this world brings. We would understand that Christmas was, ultimately, it was an act of war. You were declaring your intention to reclaim the kingdom, all of creation, for your honor and glory. And I pray, Father, during this season, we would participate with you. I pray, Father, you would guard and protect us from our adversaries' attacks. And you bring us back together at the end of this season, rejoicing, because we've had an opportunity to stand for Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you, students. Have a great Christmas break. We'll see you in a few weeks.